0: Today is Thursday, august fourth, twenty twenty two. I'm Elle Michelle Smith, your creator, host, and executive producer for the Culture Soup Podcast. It's actually six forty six AM. I'm in Las Vegas. That's Pacific time. And I'm at the National Association of Black Journalists and Hispanic Journalists Convention and Career Fair. It's an exciting time. It's the first time we've been together and three years as an organization, NABJ, and it's been a while since NABJ and NAHJ have been together as well. I'm here because NABJ is very special to me. In fact, you may recall that I've been a member since the age of 18. When I walked on the campus of Texas Christian University and became a student member of NABJ. Throughout that time, NABJ members, those folks that you see on television, in the news business, newspaper journalists, even radio journalists, have been in my corner all throughout my career as a strategic communicator and also as a journalist. You know, I'm a former television news journalist. All that to be said, it's extra special this year because I was invited to sign my book, No Thanks, Seven Ways to Say, I'll Just Include Myself, the second edition, which is called The Remix, at the Authors' Showcase today at 1230. And that's, of course, Pacific Time. If you're in the area and you have a badge, come see me and I'll be in the Neapolitan Room 3 and 4, signing the book. You can also buy it if you haven't already. It's been a joy so far to see all my friends from past and present here. And if you follow me on my social media and channels, you'll be able to see some of the faces that I consider friends and family. Special shout out to the National Association of Black Journalists and President Dorothy Tucker for an amazing job here in Las Vegas. Now, let's get to our show. The year was 2016, and I had an idea that I bounced off of my team, and I shared the idea with them, and I said, come back to me with insights. They did, and what would become of those insights would be one of the most memorable programs that the company would have ever had, but there was something that was very similar to one of their most award-winning programs, and that was... Research. You know, I truly believe that any communications plan, any operational plan, any plan at all should start with great research. In fact, my books are based in extraordinary research, third party and primary research, some of my own. But when you really want to dig in deep and develop a sustainable message, sustainable program you want to call in the big guys and that's exactly what we did we called on Horowitz research and Horowitz was able to uncover some incredible insights with data they were able to gather from focus groups surveys and other primary research they did this on behalf of the company and what we learned would propel the program for years. In fact, it wasn't until 2018 when we no longer had budget allocated to our program did the program stop, but we could have continued. Year over year, we'd revisit the research and get more data. That is the time that I met today's guest. In fact, we went to the offices at Horowitz and conducted research for another program that never really got off the ground. That is where I met Adriana Waterston. She's a senior vice president at Horowitz Research. And we shared ideas. We chit-chatted a bit and learned that we saw eye-to-eye on one particular insight. And that was that not only was America Browning, it meant that groups that were... Consuming media that largely were going unrecognized or ignored could have a powerful say in what we saw when it came to content on the air and on social media. We found that we were beating the same drum in two different industries. She was beating it in media. I was beating the drum in marketing. So before too long, she invited me to be on a panel and that's where I was able to share my platform around how multicultural was the new mass market. And believe me, it still is. But we discuss in this conversation how that data point point, in all of its different touch points, the cultural realm, the political realm, the economic realm, whatever's out there in our society has some people, big mad. They're just not ready for the change. But guess what? The change is still happening. Without further ado, I want you to meet Adriana Waterston, Senior Vice President at Horowitz Research. Let's get it. Hey, everybody. I am so excited to have my friend Adriana Waterston from Horowitz Research. And she is, man, she's a powerhouse. She does so much research when it comes to media consumption, and she provides this research for some of the biggest companies out there that are trying to move and shake in the space. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I met Adriana back when I was at the big company,
1: AT&T. Adriana, how are you doing? I am so great. It's so great to hear your voice and connect with you again. It's been a while. It's been a minute. It it has been
0: a minute, (laughs) Adriana. And, you know, the last time we communicated, it was in the midst of lockdown, I recall. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is when I first started doing research for Yes, Please, my new book that's coming out, Seven Ways to Say I'm Entitled to the C-Suite, and it's Secrets Women of Color Need to Know Now to Find Their Happy and Thrive in an Exclusive Corporate Culture. And Mm -hmm. just based on the work that you do, I felt that it was so important to get some of the work that you guys are doing into the pages of that book. And we were talking about how um, important it is that media consumption, um, how that plays a role in how people feel or even think about themselves.
1: Yeah. You remember that? yeah yeah i mean that's it's such an important conversation to be had especially now in the you know media environment that we're in that is so incredibly fragmented and there's uh you know so many different options out there so many different platforms so many different new shows so many opportunities actually for different voices and different perspectives yeah. uh and of course uh at the same time you know uh, growing awareness of, of the lack of representation of diverse stories and faces and narratives and all of that stuff. So I think that, that all of it feeds into, you know, opportunities for audiences to connect with content in ways that they never did before. And, uh, and also for, you know, media brands to step up and, and play a role in, um, in repairing the world. Uh, and helping repair all of our spirits (laughs) in today's day and age we've kind
0: of been through it haven't we adriana yeah it's been a crazy time it's been crazy but you know what before we get going too far how about we have a culture soup moment what do you think let's do it Awesome. Okay. So I'm always scanning the feeds. I'm looking at Twitter and TikTok. You know, TikTok has become this mammoth of a beast when it comes to social listening and getting a pulse on what the world is saying and even, you know, some of the other platforms. But one of the things that I see that's a constant across all of these channels and platforms is that people are becoming a little bit more aware of how social media and even traditional media feeds the way they feel. And I've seen an uptick of mental health professionals showing up online and showing their faces more on television and in the media than we've ever seen before because people are connecting the dots between how they are consuming their media and how they're feeling. And you guys have done some research around um, the different people of color, BIPOC people and other underrepresented groups and how
1: they take in their media. What, What are you hearing? What are you learning? Yeah, I mean, um, uh, well, first of all, so going back to what what I actually, it's funny you say that, because I almost like teed that up a second ago, um, talking about, you know, the fragmentation of the media environment, you know, we know that there's just been uh, tremendous changes, people in in such a short amount of time, we Mm -hmm. went from uh, being uh, a country that had cable satellite penetration at upwards of 85 90%. Mm -hmm. Um, And now cable satellite penetration is somewhere, you know, in the, depending on which research you look at, um, mid fifties, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course we've seen the proliferation of all of these different streaming services, free services, paid services, aggregators, uh, direct to consumer from a particular media brand. And we're also starting to see very targeted Um, services show up that are specifically targeted to, let's say the black audience or Mm -hmm. the Latinx audience or, you know, Asian consumers, LGBT consumers. So, you know, lots of opportunities for people to connect with content in different, Mm -hmm. you know, in different ways that resonate that may or may not resonate with them better than say mainstream content, which I think in turn uh, does have uh, an impact on the way people feel because, You know, when you see yourself, your stories, your narratives represented on screen, when you can relate to the characters and the things that are happening to them, when you can feel like there's role models for you to look up to or for your children to look up to, um, it really uh, makes a difference in terms of how you relate to that content, how you relate to the brands that advertise Uh, Within that content and um, and and just how you feel about yourself and your relationships and uh, and your relationship to the world. So I think that that is, um, you know, a really positive thing. Yeah. Um, On the other hand, you know, we also know that there's been a lot of sort of, um, you know, greater awareness Mm -hmm. um, of issues around structural racism Mm -hmm. and actual you know, personal racism and uh, experiences of police brutality and, you know, all the stuff that we're, you know, anti-immigrant sentiment, Mm -hmm. you know, anti-Asian hate crimes. I mean, there's just so much of that stuff going on. And um, when we, when we think about the news media, we're being bombarded with all these stories constantly. And while what I said earlier about you know, content, perhaps more newer content reflecting our lives and our stories and our, you know, contemporary existences better than perhaps entertainment content did before. On the other hand, we're seeing all this news media that's just incredibly depressing and just drags us down all the time. Absolutely. You know,
0: I deal with leaders, as an executive coach. And you know what? (laughs) It's interesting because when I met you, I was in strategic comms doing PR for fortune 10. And now I've parlayed that into leadership development and, um, executive coaching for those very same people. Um, but it's interesting because going through all of the cultural turmoil, the political turmoil, um, just turmoil in general when it comes to the health crisis and and how commodities have even been impacted the gas prices are so high and for a while we couldn't even get baby formula if you had a baby and now there are other shortages that are out there um it has an impact on your psychological um welfare and i blend a lot of neuroscience and positive psychology and mindfulness in what I do in my practice. And I find that many leaders during this time, because they're high impact, high performing, high octane, their inclination is just to power through, but they wind up in front of me saying they're feeling the blahs, they're feeling burned out. They, they don't feel mm-hmm. motivated. And when I peel back the onion and ask them questions about what they're doing in their lives during that time, I'm finding that they are feeding themselves and consuming a lot of this bad news that you just talked Mm -hmm. about and this negative sentiment that's just in the the environment from traditional and social media. And as you know, both of those things, they feed off of the other. So I really wanted to highlight a couple of the bullets that I saw in the, the research that you have Um, And one of them right off the top, it says, seeing so much video everywhere of violence against black Americans is having a negative impact on my mental health. Yeah. tell me more about this study, because there's some fascinating nuggets in here that I believe are pertinent to people of color and other marginalized groups and how we're actually
1: functioning in the world based on our media consumption. well that data that you um that you referenced um come from a study an annual survey that we do called state of consumer engagement Mm -hmm. and it's kind of an umbrella term uh for really taking the pulse of you know what media companies and brands uh need to understand about the sentiment of -hmm. consumers today Mm-hmm. um and and audiences today because you know now more than ever um relationships that consumers have with brands is a two-way interactive relationship before mm-hmm. it was you know i'm a brand i i got all the money i sit in my ivory tower and i buy media and i put an ad out and it's a it's a one-way Conversation. Mm-hmm. I just put the ad out and hope that people see it, and hope that it makes people remember my brand when they go to the store the next time, or whatever, or go to the auto, you know, dealer or whatever it is. Um, but but now because of social media, I really believe uh, that social media has a big uh, has played a big role in this. Uh, consumers want to be engaged with the brand. They 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 want to feel. Connected to the brand. They want to feel that the brand understands them, that the brand, um, you know, uh, has a relationship with them more than just about selling them stuff, Mm -hmm. but that there's some sort of benefit that the consumer gets um, from that connection with that brand, whether it be um, that the brand supports causes that they believe in, that the brand does you know, good things for the environment or whether it's that the brand has a great record on, you know, DE&I um, and has, you know, uh, BIPOC people at the helm. Mm-hmm. Whatever the issue is, does well for, you know, uh, with, in terms of women and gender equality. I mean, so whatever the issue is that people care about, they want to know that the brands that they're interacting with um, care about the same things. And mm-hmm. so this study really is about that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so so on one on one hand, it's for brands to understand that. but on the other hand, a lot of our clients, as you know, are media brands, like people that are actually creating content, news brands that are that are telling news stories and uh, entertainment brands that are writing scripted and unscripted uh, or putting out scripted and unscripted shows. And so um, so this uh, this uh, study is is about both of those things, right? helping. Um, the uh, advertisers understand how to connect with um, with their consumers that they want to target uh, for selling products and really how the media companies can create content to resonate with folks. Because let's mm-hmm. face it, if you're not creating the content that people want with all the choices people have today, they're not going to find you. Yeah. So we ask about people's sociopolitical attitudes. We ask about how they feel about representation of people from their cultures and communities on screen. Uh, We ask about, you know, whether they feel the media, you know, is doing a good job or a bad job at trying to bust stereotypes and negative mythologies. And Mm -hmm. we, you know, address all sorts of issues around around representation and connection with consumers Mm -hmm. in the media environment. And that's Mm -hmm. what that study is all about. Gotcha. That's great context because, These
0: brands do so much to impact what we see and hear. Yeah. And I'm not sure that people really realize that or connect those dots that, you know, say brand X um, buys into a sponsorship uh, or an advertising campaign into a certain show. And um, whether their ad campaigns actually reflect anything multicultural or not, their dollars go to support it. Right. 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 And so this goes, goes to offer them a lot more context around some of these choices that they're making. Is that correct?
1: That's right. right. And, um, you know, this, this study that we conducted is, is a syndicated study, meaning that, you know, we put the study out and we hope that that people buy it Mm -hmm. and it's great. Many people do and many clients do buy it, but really what's the fun stuff about my job is the custom work that we do, mm-hmm. um, where we really are designing studies for clients to really address their real specific, you know, questions and needs. And so I've been doing some really exciting work in this area, Michelle. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, while I can't talk about specific sure. client brands, I can tell you that, um, well, I'm, I'm super proud of three projects I'd love to share with you. Mm-hmm. Sure. So, um uh, one uh, is, um, I think, um, probably the most important piece of research that, uh, that we've developed at Horowitz, mm-hmm. um, and uh, this is a local news station group. In other okay. words, when you turn on your local news in wherever you are, Peoria, Illinois, or San Francisco, California, wherever... It's the people that create the local news right. for you on, on certain stations, right? right. And th- these folks own a lot of stations across the country. So they're very, very influential at the local level, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, this is a company that really cares deeply about uh, doing doing to do justice, mm-hmm. really, to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Mm-hmm. So they approached us uh, and they um, wanted to do... An audit of how well they're doing in terms of D E and I mm-hmm. on their in their news content. Mm-hmm. And they had no idea how to go about this. And quite frankly, you know, neither did we. So we we sat down, um, my team and I, and we developed a proprietary methodology that is so robust and so awesome. And basically, what we did is we assembled a team of auditors, a very Mm -hmm. diverse team. So it's Mm -hmm. Black, Latinx, Asian, White, uh, and then within that, LGBTQ, uh, you know, folks. Uh, So everybody that's auditing comes from a different perspective, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, We, uh, you know, our our company is very connected to anthropology, and uh, the founder of the company is an urban anthropologist. So we tapped into our network of anthropologists, and we worked with uh, for example, a a a a cultural linguist, an anthropologist who's a linguist. Yeah, um, that's and, a cool company, by the way.
0: I yeah, had a brush
1: it? with them in New York um, some years ago. Fascinating. Oh, I don't know. This is just an individual woman. Um, that's oh, okay. A, that's, yeah, she's an. A, she's a. She's actually a colleague of uh, of uh, my sisters at John Jay College of Criminal Justice, and we used her uh, to train our auditors. Um, and, uh, and of course we also trained our auditors on, on the things that we were looking for. And we developed this methodology that basically looks at, uh, news content Mm -hmm. from a quantitative perspective, as well as from a qualitative perspective, Mm -hmm. meaning quantitatively, um, let's say you're the news in, you know, I'm going to make it up New York city, right. Which is Mm -hmm. an incredibly diverse place. We are, we set a quantitative metric for how much diversity you need to have on screen that more or less mirrors your, your market, right? Or you might be from a market that's not very diverse, but we still want you to do better, right? We want you to, to, to put diversity onto your content. So we, so we create targets, diversity targets, and we actually measure the number of diverse faces that are on air. That includes talent, that includes, you know, the people on the street interviews, sure. that includes the experts that they bring on and whatnot. Um, and not only how many faces, but how much airtime they get. Yeah. And that's the quantitative metric. And then on the qualitative side, we developed a, 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 a methodology to measure the c- caliber of the reporting. Mm-hmm. And we look at the reporting on basically three uh, perspectives. The overall narrative of the story. What's the thrust of the story? Mm -hmm. Whose point of view is this story being told from? Whose stories, whose points of views are being excluded from the story? Right. That's number one. Number two is what imagery is being used? Whose whose faces are being shown? and How are they being shown? Mm -hmm. How are people Mm -hmm. being portrayed? Are the, are the the choices that are made from a visual perspective, um, you know, uh, helping bust negative mythologies, negative stereotypes, or are they, right. you know, are they in, are they perpetuating them? And then, thirdly, we look at the language. That's where the linguistic anthropologist came in, um, where we take very, very careful aim at what is the choice of language that's used, and and why. So, mm-hmm. for example, you know, when it's a an 18 year old black kid that is an alleged, um, you know, uh, you know, allegedly committed a crime, do they say 18 year old teenager or right. do they say 18 year old man Right. versus when it's a white teenager? You know, um, I mean, we've seen that happen in the news recently. Right. So,
0: yeah.
1: Um, you know, so things like that, we we pay very close attention to. We uh, And then we give them a report mm-hmm. um, on a monthly basis of, of how their stations are doing. And the stations have been taking that and all the feedback and actually making changes I to what it. they're putting on air. And it makes a huge difference. I love because it. Because, you know, talking about what we were talking about before about the video everywhere of violence and da-da-da-da-da, it's not just that, it's also like the constant barrage of like, you know, the negative stereotypes of, mm-hmm. you know, Black people as criminals and Black people as this or Hispanics as, as, you know, as illegal immigrants and all right. this. You
0: know,
1: you so, know it's interesting um, because um,
0: that body of research and that work that you're doing for that television news company is very, very similar. And I, I mean, it resonates with me. My master's thesis was Um, around African-American images in local television news. There you go. Is that ironic or what? And it was qualitative and quantitative. And I did go through and count the images. But what's crazy is the question at the core of my thesis was, do the uh, number and amount of um, Black people in the newsroom impact the images Mm -hmm. that you actually see and whether they're positive or negative? And what's Mm -hmm. crazy is it happened I did this research right as the O.J. Simpson debacle oh, wow. tipped off, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so um, we had the chase that happened just as things were going, um, that, just as I was beginning my studies. And then towards the end of my studies, they went to trial.
1: Uh-huh. They had
0: the trial. So that impacted a lot. So I had to... Um, take that into consideration in skewing any numbers. But ultimately what I found was it didn't matter how many Black people were in the newsroom. It really was the thinking that everyone brought to the table that impacted whether you were seeing too many negative images versus um, positive images of talking heads like SMEs, Black doctors, Black attorneys that were- subject matter experts and, and, and experts um, that there needed to be a heightened sensitivity in all of what we did because the news culture, and at that time I was actually in television news, the news culture, when it comes to what news values actually are, and that at the time, and it kind of is now, if it bleeds, it leads. That's the first thing they ride on emotion um, primarily. And so crime is going to bubble to the top. So there needed to be some kind of sensitivity around the language that they use, or even reporters going to find, um, witnesses, eyewitnesses, even if they were black, let's say if they came out of a, um, a burning apartment, right. And the woman that they talked to happened to be still in her nightgown and in rollers, that the reporter had the sensibility to say, you know what, before you come on, if you want to take a little time to fix yourself up, you can't. And
1: right.
0: that would go exactly. for anybody. But these were things that nobody was thinking about because it's just a little bit more dramatic to have a lady come out of a an apartment in a rollers in a, a robe and talk any kind of way. Right. Right. Because that's good TV. Right.
1: So, yeah, okay. I can totally relate. to you. <laughs> I love then- that. And that's the kind of thing that we're trying to educate them about what, you know, what is, what the impact is of those decisions, you know, and if they really want to do better, it may not be as flashy or whatever, Mm -hmm. but, you know, in the long, in the end, you know, what is it that they're trying to accomplish here? Um, And uh, yeah, so it's a really interesting project that we've been, we're really thrilled to be part of this because we, we feel know to have developed this methodology first and foremost and secondly to 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 know that it's impacting what people are seeing on screen you know across the country um because we we know it needs to happen right um so that's been fantastic
0: how how might you take
1: something like that and adapt it even for brands so we're doing uh we're doing a similar project for a major entertainment brand they own you know some multinational company that owns linear television networks digital uh, assets all this kind of stuff and for them it's not so much of an audit like we're doing for the news as much as it is a um a a biannual sort of tracking study Mm -hmm. where we are um you know where we've uh, developed a different metric to measure how how, what people think about uh about the diversity on their air. Mm-hmm. And this is not, not this is not a media company that, you know, is necessarily known for being all that diverse, so they're mm-hmm. making a lot of changes now. Mm-hmm. Um and so we're now in this, basically almost the second year of this and um and we've been helping them sort of quantitatively measuring where they were so mm-hmm. that uh so that there's benchmarks for mm-hmm. success. Mm-hmm. And then we've done lots of qualitative work to help them better Understand, you know. So, what are you know? What do people want to see when it when when it comes to representation of their cultures and their communities and their contemporary lifestyles um, on screen? You know, what right. is it that's wrong with the way that uh, different communities and cultures are being presented today, and how is it that that can improve within the different genres that this uh, particular media company? Um, offers. And so it's a multi-layered project, you know, that spans lots of different genres, uh, different types of content, uh, and different audiences, uh, obviously, including international audiences. So that's been another really exciting um, and ongoing project that we've been involved in. That's amazing. You know Um, what you and I were talking about
0: before we um, hit record, how so much has changed. And when we first met, I'm trying to think the first time we met, because it was before we were on stage in New York at yep. the Horowitz Research um, Media mm-hmm. Gathering um, Summit that we, we sat on a panel together, which was yep. awesome that you moderated. But yep. we met before then. It was probably some research that you were doing for our company at that time. But during that time, we had a real meeting was- of the minds. Yeah. We, we had we a real. Had <laughs> I remember. Yeah. And and that was around the idea of not just the browning of the, of America, but it was around the impact that browning was having on how marketers should begin to look at and media companies as well, begin to look at how they're doing their segmentation and how they're actually doing their marketing. And I was calling it the new mass market Um, You guys had a term for it, but we had this meeting of the minds over that concept alone. But you and I were just discussing how those data points, whether they were in the media field, marketing field, or even the political arena, have caused a general backlash in our society. And it's caused us to have to... uh Uh-oh, I lost her. Let's see. it's not recording. (laughs) Okay, so... I was saying that I remember us having a meeting of of the minds, as it were, about the time that we met around the idea of what I was calling the new mass market. And that was around the idea that America was not just browning, but it was Mm -hmm. it was a shift in the demographics where um, the minority was becoming the majority. And I think Horowitz had its own way of speaking about it and how it was impacting the media environment and marketing. But at the same time, you and I were talking about, before we hit the record button, how there's been just a general backlash against that concept, even beyond media and marketing. It's really in the political realm and the cultural sphere. You want to talk about that and how it's, it's caused a lot of us to kind of regain our footing,
1: Right. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, we were so you mentioned our conference and uh, we did a multicultural con- conference for 18 years. I mean, we 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 haven't abandoned it. We still have the brand, um, you know, that we actually had rebranded it, the Cultural Insights Forum a few years before the last time we did it, which was in 2018. But we had been doing this conference since 2001. Mm-hmm. And it was really the first conference ever that focused on multicultural consumers and multicultural media and um and we started that conference back in 2001 because we understood that people didn't get it you know we did they didn't understand the value of multicultural audiences and consumers they uh relegated us to um to sort of as being niche audiences Mm -hmm, um uh that were not uh valuable at all to brands or to media companies or anybody else even distributors and uh, we knew that that wasn't true and we felt that that was in and of itself rooted in racism and ignorance and Mm -hmm. stereotypes (laughs) and all this other kind of stuff so we really um wanted to use our conference as a platform to change the narrative and we worked on that you know um for for 18 years all the Mm -hmm. way to 2018 uh which was the last time we did the conference for other extenuating reasons, we didn't do it in 2019. And then obviously since COVID, we haven't gone back to, uh, to doing it, but we're planning on starting it again. But the thing is, is that, you know, so I think you were probably on, maybe it was 2016 or something right. like that. Or right. Something like that. And yes. And our whole platform was, Hey folks, you know, multicultural America is America. You know, it's not just about the inner cities and certain markets. It's the, the, the demographic and cultural shifts are um, are, uh, you know, uh, happening everywhere. Right. And uh, and it's and it's it's good for business. It's good for your audiences. And it's and it's good for, um, you know, uh, helping change some of the damaging sort of narratives that are out there about. Uh, different audiences to pay attention to this and to super serve uh, these, these audiences. And so um, that was our, that was the point of of doing our conference. And so we felt, you know, really, um, you know, at at, during that time in 2020, when the world felt like it was going topsy-turvy between between COVID and then the murder of George Floyd and the, and the, all the BM, BLM protests and, uh, you know, even before that, the sort of anti-immigrant narratives and all this other kind of stuff, you, you know, sort of on the other side of all of that, we experienced a tremendous, you know, boom in business because mm-hmm. everybody, it seems that finally that narrative that we were talking about, multicultural America is America, or however you, how you put it, um what did you say the mass market the new mass market the is the new mass market right mm-hmm. right and uh my my friend and colleague uh Jackie Hernandez would call it you know the new majority um mm-hmm. and we felt like wow you know um post 2020 it felt like people are finally getting it you yeah. know and we're going to move forward and a lot of these conversations that we've been having for 18 years are finally going to you know, result in, in some real, meaningful, positive change. And in many ways, it has, as I was describing those two projects that I was just telling you about, and those are just uh, emblematic of, of a number of, you know, many projects that we're doing uh, for different media brands and, and different companies. But yes, um, on the other hand, you know, th- th- there can't ever be change without backlash. and. Right um and it is so incredibly disheartening to to see what's happening today i mean you know all, I, I, everything everything feels so much more depressing now than it did let's say a year ago i mean you know yeah um you know what is happening with uh you know women's rights and um and and all the, the you know the the christian nationalism white christian nationalism taking hold Mm -hmm. and taking root in so many places and you know um just that stuff but it's 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 all predictable because it's a backlash to what is unavoidable which is that no matter how much they want to fight against it what what we're seeing and the trends that we you know that we've been talking about all these years they're not going anywhere yes there are going to be people that are And they will, you know, try to control us, try to take away our rights, try to limit our right to vote like they're doing in so many, so many black neighborhoods across the country. Um, There's a reason for all of this. And the reason is because they're scared. Mm -hmm. They're scared of what's an unavoidable truth, which is that going back to what I said, multicultural America is the new mass market. Mm -hmm. It is the new majority. And they can't change that. So, but it's scary times. It's very scary
0: times. It is interesting to try to thread the needle on how we got here looking back to the 2015, 2016 timeframe when uh, we were beginning to have these conversations to now. And it's very interesting just as you look at the cultural environment, the political environment, and where we are today. You know, the pendulum usually does swing and, and typically, typically swings very hard after the mm-hmm. change is something that's going to impact uh, the power center or the status quo or anything like that. So this is to be expected, but it is also, you know, my, my point of view is always to try to find the message in the mess, try to find the collateral beauty and the opportunity in it all. And I wanna leave with this question to you. What do you see as the opportunity despite this environment that we are today, especially as it pertains to multicultural and the mass market?
1: Well, um, I mean, I think think everything you said is correct right there's it's a it's a it's a very dramatic uh pendulum swinging to the right but i feel like um uh we have to keep the fight going um Mm -hmm. we can't allow the vocal minority Mm -hmm. to dictate what we know to be is the way of the perhaps more silent majority and perhaps Mm -hmm. the silent majority needs to become less silent Yes um and uh i I do feel that we need to work on and uh, this is opening a whole nother can of worms, so I don't know if yes. I should say this at the end of this, uh-huh, despite the fact that I work in multicultural marketing and I talk about culture and I talk about race and identity and all this stuff all the time in my work, I do feel like we have got to start moving away from identity politics Mm -hmm. and is particularly identity politics that are so centered around race, ethnicity, and culture. Yeah. And start thinking more about the ways that we are more the same than we are different. Mm -hmm. Um, in order to find common ground and fight the real fights that we need to fight. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that things like racism aren't the real fight. Like I get, you know, I get that. I'm not saying that that's hear you. but the real, the big overarching fight is a socio is an economic fight, right? It is, it is a fight for power. Uh, and who's going to control, you know, the economy who's, who's going to control, um, you know the world of government and politics and all that kind of stuff. And while, of course, we have to resolve all of the racialized horribleness and the history of all of that stuff, and, and make amends for all of all of that, and address the the issues of identity and and why all that's important from a political perspective, we need to, um, you know, really find ways to bond together uh, across. Common issues that uh, that w- we can all relate to, so that we can make you know really deliver change. Absolutely, you know, you know um, I'm completely on board
0: with completely blowing up the paradigm. Yeah, and I challenge often when I'm speaking de and i leaders mm-hmm. to begin to deconstruct it because um, now. Unfortunately, so much of the language has been weaponized, yeah so that we are even more divided than we ever were before, where there were probably individuals and groups that could have met eye to eye on a yeah. different plane. yeah um, and and we did. I mean, we saw it, right? Yeah, um, or even there were people who were so far extreme that they at least had enough shame, yeah to keep quiet or stay where they were. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but we've yeah. got to be able to deconstruct a lot of the language that we're using, even a lot of the, the, the constructs that we're using. Um, I'm a, a firm believer that the, the, um, idea of culture is so multi-layered that you can find common ground. You know, the research we were doing back then in my group um, at AT AT&T, we knew that there were six areas that everybody could get along with. Right. Especially when it came to marketing. But I think you can apply that to people in general, where it comes to workplaces, where it comes to communities and society, and begin to use terms that everybody understands. Yeah. And some of them are big, warm, and fuzzy words like respect. Yes. Everybody gets that. And if you can infuse some empathy in there and people can start to say, okay, well, I can understand why she feels that way because I know what it feels like to feel that way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We can get a lot further. And I know it sounds like I'm preaching, but it It, it, it really does come down to that. Even the word love, we all get it. (laughs) Yeah. So how come we can't use these terms that were introduced to us, even as children that everybody gets?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think there's, I think it's a, it's a, it's an interesting challenge because we're in this place where it's so important. It's so important and good that we're acknowledging, you know, racialized difference. We're acknowledging, you know, intersectional issues, right. For, uh, you know, uh, for example, uh, the LGBTQ Mm -hmm. uh, plus communities, um, for, uh, you know, the, the differences, uh, for in the Hispanic market, for example, in, in my, which I'm part of, you know, the issues of colorism and, you know, how that impacts different people. So I think it's so important that we're addressing these things, Mm -hmm. but we cannot let them consume us to the point where we fight amongst ourselves so much that we, that we don't see the, the bigger picture of who the, you know, who, who, what we need to get done to, to move the needle forward. You know, absolutely.
0: And in general, I do believe that there is fatigue around the topic yeah, um, on both sides. But I think that if we continue to beat the same drum, the way we've been beating it, we're not going to make any progress because right. there is a, a group out there that is no matter how much logic you share, they're mm-hmm. not budging. They're not budging at all. So you have to find a different way. And it's not in the, you know, the big words and terminology that we use around psychological what? safety and microaggressions and all of these big things that, you know, people hear those words and they just shut down. Yeah. They shut down. Right. So, you know what? I want to end on a happy note. Yes. Did you see the Black Panther trailer?
1: I actually have not the new for the new one. Yes. I have not seen it. Is you it amazing? You have got to see it. I, oh,
0: my gosh. I, I first of all, it. it's a work of art. But second of all, the Latinx community has something to cheer about.
1: All right. I'm going to have to check it out. You got to see
0: it. I'm going to check it out. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm going to send you the link. And right. I want you to tell me what you think about it. Because, oh, my goodness.
1: Well, I mean, I, I totally, like, loved the first um, yes. Black Panther movie. And... Um, I, I mean, I just think that it's it's so freaking it's it was such a great opportunity to change, you know, the narrative around like, you know, what superheroes are supposed to be like, yeah. and you know, all of this uh, kind of stuff. So I'm um, I'm super excited. I can't wait to see it. Well, and it's one of those case studies,
0: of course, that just broke all sorts of records in the United States and globally. um, I believe that this next one is going to smash all of those records because of the content and because of who's involved. And I think it's a case in point for how um, a lot of the research that you guys have done, some of the research that Nielsen did around um, how... Black and Latinx cultures drive pop culture. We're going to see that play out.
1: I'm excited. I'm so excited. I mean, you can imagine for me when uh, when I heard that um, Marvel was coming out with you know a a Latinx hero and it's Bad Bunny, who I'm like Puerto Rican, so you know he's my hero. I freaking love him. And I mean, you know, I was just so excited to see that. And I just think. That's exactly the kind of change we need to see, you know, for for media to become more reflective. So that's exciting. You know, it's been a great conversation with you, Adriana. Where can people find you online to connect? You know, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, They can connect uh, to me through the Horowitz website directly. Um, You know, uh, mostly LinkedIn is probably the best way.
0: Awesome, awesome, Adriana I Waterston.
1: I appreciate your time today, Adriana. So and great, you know what? Let's you. not
0: let this be the last time that we we chat by phone or by Zoom. I would love it. All right, you have a great right, take care. Thank, Thank you, you. and thanks for having
1: me. All All right. Right. Bye. Bye.
0: What an exciting conversation with Adriana Waterston of Horowitz Research. Look for some of those nuggets in my upcoming book, Yes Please, Seven Ways to Say. I'm entitled to the C-Suite. Secrets women of color need to know now to find their happy and thrive in an exclusive corporate culture. Listen, I have a few things coming up. I'm coming back to Dallas for the Women's Leadership Summit, and I'll be on a panel talking about innovation for women Leaders. That's on Saturday at the Renaissance Hotel. Get your tickets. You can still do so. Google Women's Leadership Summit Dallas and get your tickets today. I'll also be signing books, so be on alert. Find us online at theculturesoup.com, on Instagram and Twitter at The Culture Soup, and on Facebook at The Culture Soup Podcast. Until next time.
1: The Culture Soup Podcast is a production of No Silos Communications, LLC.
0: The Culture Soup Podcast is a registered trademark of No Silos Communications, LLC.